Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together to hear your word today. But Lord God, as I speak today, I just pray that what comes out is not my words, but yours. Lord, we pray that your spirit will be moving here and that your spirit will just let the words and the message that you want heard settle. But Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your faithfulness always. In your name we pray. Amen. So, over the last couple of weeks, we have been exploring the book of Joshua. Joshua is the story of a people on mission for God in the desert. And we're looking at what lessons can we learn as we are people on mission every day in the desert. Last week, Dave talked about stepping out in faith, stepping into what God has called us for as the Israelites walked around the walls of Jericho silently. Now, personally, having worked with lots of groups of people, I think that the fact that they were silent is the miracle in that story. And I want to pick up this series with, as you can see, the story of Achan's sin. It's Joshua chapter 7 and 8. It's a bit of a long passage, and so I want to just kind of summarize it because it actually starts way back, well, not way back, but it starts in chapter 6. See, the Israelites walked seven days around the walls of Jericho once each day, and then on the seventh day they did it seven times. And then they gave a loud shout, and the walls came tumbling down. We know the story. We've heard that story. But as they're about to head into Jericho, Joshua gives the people the instructions. All right, what I want you to do is, and what you need to do, is you need to destroy everything completely. Everything needs to be destroyed. No plundering, no saving of anyone. Everything needs to be destroyed, except for Rahab and her family. Everything else has to be destroyed. And so they go in and they do that. And then we have chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. See, they've gone from this incredible victory and then all of a sudden they've fallen into sin. And the next little bit is they are heading out into the next part of their area, or the next part of their mission, the next part of their conquest, which is a town called Ai. And so Joshua, same as he did at Jericho, he sends some spies out and he says, "Go spy out the land. Tell tell us what it's like." And they came back and went, "This is a small town. You know, we, we've just defeated Jericho. We're going to be able to do this easily. Don't bother sending the whole army. Let the men rest. You only need three thousand. So they sent 3,000 men against the city, or against the town, and they were defeated. The Israelites were sent running. In fact, 36 Israelites died. This is the only account of casualties for the Israelites in all of the book of Joshua. And so Joshua and the elders, they fall before God and they go, what is happening? What has gone on? And God says to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put with them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. And so that's what they do. The next day, they bring out the people in group by group, and they cast lots. And Achan, son of whoever, I'm no good at family histories, but Achan is found to be the one who has the devoted things. And so Joshua says to him, confess, tell what you've done. And so he does. He confesses. He says that he's hidden it in the bottom of his tent. He took these things because he saw them and he coveted them, and so he took them. And so Joshua sends some messengers off to the tent, and they find the stuff. And then they take Achan and his family and their possessions and their livestock, and they take them outside of the town, and they stone them and destroy them. And then the Israelites, on God's instructions, go and conquer the town of Ai, where they're told that they are allowed to plunder. Whew, what a passage, huh? You know, I did ask Dave Clark last week if he wanted to swap. He said no. This is a difficult passage. This is an uncomfortable passage. There is a lot of stuff in here that as we look at it from 2023 in Australia, it doesn't make sense. It looks really different and difficult. And this is kind of a little bit of a tangent to what I, my main point that I want to talk about tonight, but I want to just start off by saying it's okay to feel uncomfortable with a passage like this. In fact, I actually think it's good that we feel uncomfortable with a passage like this. One of my favourite stories in the Old Testament is a story of Jacob wrestling with God or with the angel of the Lord. And Jacob wrestles all night and he refuses to let go and at the end of that, God gives him a new name. It's Israel, which means wrestled with God. And when you look at the history of Israel, they are a people who wrestled with God throughout their entire history. God is not scared of our questions. God is not scared of us feeling a little bit uncomfortable. God is not scared of us needing to wrestle with hard things. 
And so, you know, I'm really glad that this passage is a bit uncomfortable because this passage actually invites us to wrestle with some things. And that's good. And, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of things tonight. But if there are questions that you've got, I'm more than happy to talk with people after the service. Gavin would be more than happy to catch up with people. And we can talk about how you wrestle with some of these ideas. But one of the things that I always hold on to is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all Scripture is good and all Scripture is useful. So what is it that this passage is trying to teach us? Well, in case you didn't guess from the heading... This passage is about sin. Kind of seems a little bit obvious, I guess, but there's actually quite a lot in here about sin. See, this passage is, also has a counterpart in the New Testament. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Both of these stories are, are given to new communities, Fledgling communities, communities that are being developed and formed. This is a story and a warning for Israel as they are taking the promised land, as they are settling into who God has created them to be. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is very similar and it's for the new and the early church. Even before they face persecution, before the first martyr, they are warnings about the seriousness of sin. They are warnings about the fact that our God is a holy God and cannot stand sin. They are warnings about the the cost of sin. They are warnings that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable because we know we struggle with sin. And as we read stories like this, we think about the ways that we have failed, the ways that we have messed up. And a definition of sin, if you've never kind of heard that word before, a good way of thinking about it is sin is making choices that take us outside God's plan for how we live. And one of the, one of the things that I notice in this passage is that even though you might want sin to be hidden and even though you might think, you know, sin is something secret, It never stays secret. All the way back in verse 1, Achan is named as the person who it was. God is the one who reveals it to the rest of the community. That's who it is. We can't hide from sin. That's something else that we're, we're told from both of these stories, from Ananias and Sapphira and from Achan. And so there's a lot that can actually be talked about with that, but what I want to talk about is something that can kind of make us feel a little bit uncomfortable today. Because here in the West, we like to be very individualistic. But one of the things that stood out to me right from the start as I looked at this story is the fact that here in Joshua 7, we see that sin affects an entire community. It's not just Achan that is affected, it is an entire community that is affected by this sin. 
And we kind of like to think that, you know, my choices affect me and they don't necessarily affect other people. It's my decision. The number of people that I've talked to over the years who say, look, this is between me and God. And they generally tell me that when they're worried that I'm about to challenge them about something, which seems a little bit ironic. But this idea of sin affecting a whole community is something that we need to understand. See, verse 1, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. God looks at Israel as a whole, even from the actions of one person. Verses 4 and 5, which I don't have up there, but they tell how 36 Israelites lost their lives because of this sin. When they went up against Ai, they were killed. And then later in, verses, in verse 25, Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. This wasn't just Achan. This was his family. Just remember what I said before. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. This is, this is a hard thing. And so all throughout this passage, all throughout this story, God keeps addressing himself to Israel, even though God knew who had caused the sin, who had, was the one who had actually taken the devoted things. And the reason is because this passage is a warning and he, God wants us to understand that sin hurts the people within a community. See, I was trying to think of an illustration for this, but then I also realised I probably don't need one because I think that all of us can think of situations where we've seen one person's action hurt a whole community of people. I can think of so many. I remember an organisation that I was part of where the choices of one person in leadership almost tore an organisation apart, destroyed friendships and caused hurt that is still there today. In fact, destroyed the faith of people that I looked up to and respected. The sin of one person. It wasn't against that other person, but the choices they made affected so much more. I, I know of a church that 20 years on was still hurting from an event that had happened. There were still people there who had not even been part of the original event, but they carried the hurt. Because sin is not just about us. Sin is something that has this flow-on effect for other people. Sin is something that hurts the people around us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 7, and Jesus both talk about the idea of yeast. Yeast in a loaf of bread. As you knead it round and as you bake it, the yeast spreads throughout the entire loaf of bread. 
And the same thing happens with sin. Whenever sin enters our community, whenever sin enters a group, it spreads. Sometimes it's people choosing to help out with the sin or choosing to go, oh, look, they're allowed to do that. Just so you know, I'm not pointing for any particular reason. I'm just... It's always always awkward with a topic like this. I'll point that way. Uh, Sometimes it's because people go, oh, look, they're allowed to do that. That means that I'm allowed to. And so sin multiplies. And sometimes it's because hurt just spreads throughout from the sin. And see, in our passage today, it was Achan's family. I had this pointed out to me this morning. I was chatting with somebody about this passage and they actually pointed out to me, Achan's family, they they all lived in tents. They would have known what was hidden underneath their tent. They participated in the sin. But they didn't tell anyone. For the rest of the community, it was the Israelites who went up against the town who paid the price because sin spreads and it hurts the people within a community. But not just that. Sin destroys the reputation of a community. See, in Joshua 7 verses 8 and 9, Joshua is on his knees before God and he's pleading and he's going, God, what is going on here? Why have you abandoned us? Why have you gone away from us? Because all the nations around us are going to hear about this. And they know, they're going to know that you're not with us anymore and we are going to die. Because Joshua knew that the reason they could conquer Jericho was because God was with them. He was going ahead of them. This idea of reputation is important. And I actually laugh because this was kind of brought up this morning by Simon Duke in his message and I I love the way that God does that because it just gave me a bit of confirmation that this is something that I needed to share. One of my favourite passages is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. It's the Ministry of Reconciliation. It says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that picture of being an ambassador for Christ. Wherever I go, wherever I am, I am called to represent Jesus. And I'll tell you what, that... That is a really good thing to teach young people so that when they're about to do something stupid, they go, hang on, people know I'm a Christian. This is not going to reflect well. But it's actually really important. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are representing Jesus wherever we go, whatever we do. And so the way that we do things affects others. And so when one person sins, 
It affects all of us. I, over the last couple of years, I've watched a lot of big Christian leaders fall. People like Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, Brian Houston. The thing that really makes me sad about that, though, is that I've met Christians who, when they hear about it, they go, yes. They celebrate because they go, oh, that empire's done, that thing is brought down. Now, please hear me and please understand me. Sin needs to be dealt with. Those people did things that needed to be dealt with, that needed to be called out. But we should never celebrate the fall of someone like that because it reflects on all of us. All of us who bear the name Christian, it reflects on. See, we should be weeping because sin affects a whole community. It affects the reputation. Of course, the flip side is also true. That's the beautiful thing. Because, you know, this, this message was going to be a little bit of a downer without some good points. See, since moving to Alice Springs, I have loved the Minister's Fellowship. I have loved meeting with the other ministers of Alice Springs and being encouraged and being able to encourage, of seeing the way that they join together, the way that they work together, the way that they support each other. Because what happens to one affects us all. We are not here to build the Baptist church in the desert. We are here to build God's kingdom here in the desert. And all the churches are involved in that. All the churches are helping to declare God's glory in a different way. And I think that that is so wonderful. And so we've got this idea that sin destroys community. Sin brings it down. It it hurts people. It destroys the reputation. And so what are we meant to do about it? Where do we go from here? Because this would be a real downer if I left it right now. And there's not much we can really do about that. Oops, I forgot some slides. So what are we, what are we meant to do with this? Well, the first thing, it's good advice anytime. When we become aware of sin in our lives, we need to go back to Jesus. We need to go to Jesus and we need to seek repentance. This needs to be our first step always. And sometimes we need that reminder that it actually affects more people so that we actually do it. But we go back to Jesus. We, we are grateful that we live in a time of grace and reconciliation. We live in a time of forgiveness where we can go and repent. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is we actually need to go and find support. Because we are not meant to do this life alone. Sin is hard. Do you know, I, have, I stand up here sometimes and I feel like people go, oh, he must have it all together. I don't. I spent about 10 years struggling with a porn addiction. And I want to talk about, like I want to say that because 
I want to just add a proviso that if you are somebody who's struggling, I would love to talk to you and to provide support for you. But I also want to say that to say that I'm not standing up here as somebody who's got my life, well, I'm not dealing with that anymore, just so you know. But I'm not standing up here as somebody who's never made mistakes, who has never failed. I have failed. I know what it's like to make mistakes. I know what it's like to fail. But I also know what it's like to hold things inside, to let it stay in darkness where it can't be dealt with. Where it just rattles around in your brain. We need to bring things into the light. We need to bring things into the light where they can actually be dealt with, where they can be seen. And James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We need, to we need to check ourselves. We need to go back to Jesus, but we also need to find support. We need to find someone that we can actually go and confess these things to who can keep us accountable. I am so grateful for the people that I have had in my life who are willing to ask me hard questions, who are willing to ask me, how are you going with that? What's going on with that? And when I try and avoid the answers, they keep going. We need to find people like that. Now, when James says confess your sins to each other, you don't just find somebody as they walk into church and go, hey, can I just confess something to you? Great way to freak people out. No, I won't say trust me. Uh, but you need to find somebody that you can trust because to be vulnerable requires trust. So you need somebody. And I've got a list of about four people that I know even though they're in Tasmania, even though I haven't necessarily talked to them in a while, if I rang them up, if they picked up, they've got my back. Because we need support. We're not meant to do this alone. And if we want to make sure that sin doesn't destroy our communities, then we need support. See, I wonder if maybe if Aiken had done this, things would have turned out differently. Because Aiken confesses but only after he's revealed as the person that it was. If he'd taken that step of repentance and moving forward, how could things have been different? So the first one's go back to Jesus. The second one's find support. The third one is judge each other. Let me put that another way. The third one is check in with each other. I joke, but I also don't. I think that sometimes we've got this fear of judgment, and yet we actually need it. But I want to say that with a proviso, because I know that people can hear these words and they can take them in a really wrong way. We've got to judge people with the right spirit. We've got to judge people out of love. There's a passage or a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul talks about what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? We can't. They're not under the same covenant of us as us. Am I not to judge those inside the church? And then when I think about Jesus' words in the Gospels, 
Do not judge others lest you also be judged and the same measure you use will be used against you. I think that that is an encouragement to hold each other to a standard but to be aware that other people are going to hold you to that same standard. See, this idea of checking in with each other, it is an idea of love. It is this idea of going, you know what, I'm actually worried about this person. I am concerned about some actions that I've been seeing and I'm actually going to go and talk to them about it in love. Can I just say though, if you are somebody who is not very emotionally intelligent, this is really dangerous. If this is something that you struggle with social cues, this is really difficult to do and I would encourage you to get somebody else to help. Because this is something that can go so wrong, but it is also so very important for us. It's something that I value when people have done it to me. Admittedly, you arc up initially, but then when you have time to think about it, you realise the love. So if sin destroys a community, then we need to help each other to recognize the sin and to be able to deal with it. But we have to do it in a way that is loving. We have to do it in a way that is kind. We have to do it in a way that says, hey, I've noticed that you're struggling. And we want to sit down beside them in the dirt and go, you know what? I know what it's like. But let's actually... Talk to each other. Let's share what's going on. Let's talk about what's happening because I care about you and I love you. When we judge each other, when we check in with each other, we have to be willing to sit down in the dirt. And, you know, I love Paul's words where he says, I am the worst of all sinners. Because if we can keep that in mind when we're checking in with people, we know that we're not standing up above them pointing the finger but we're sitting down in the dirt beside them going, life is hard. How can I help? Because I want you to be the best that God has created you to be. I want you to be who God has intended you to be. That is the heart that we need for that. Never pointing the finger. Because we're never supporting the sin. It's about loving the hurting and the broken. Of which we are too. It's about bringing Jesus into that place. Because we can't fix it ourselves. It always has to go back to Jesus. And so I wonder, I wonder as we sit here tonight with an uncomfortable message and a challenging message, I want to just give you a minute David's prayer in Psalm 139. At the end is, if there is any offensive way in me, 
reveal it to me, God. And I, wa- I wonder if as we sit here tonight, if maybe we need to ask that same question. Because sin destroys communities. Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for passages like Joshua 7. Passages that make us feel uncomfortable. Passages that we might need to wrestle with. But Lord, I also thank you that you give us these examples and these warnings so that we can know what to avoid. And Lord, we know that sin breaks your heart. Lord, we know that you have seen the way that sin destroys communities, it destroys relationships. And Lord, our prayer Today is that here in the desert Lord help us to not be too proud that we ignore our failings. Lord help us not to ignore your voice that whispers. But Lord give us courage to be able to face the areas in our life where we miss the mark, where we fail, where we fall down. Lord, I pray that you would reveal people to us that we can confess to, that we can be kept accountable by. And Lord, I pray that if we are called to check in on someone, Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to be able to do it in love, to be able to sit down in the dirt beside them and love them. Lord, give us the courage to actually face our sin and not just leave it hidden. 
Lord, help us to bring it into the light and to seek help. And Lord, to always come before you. Lord, these things we pray in your name. Amen.